Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Remember, if you are headed into work right now or otherwise have to step away from your radio, you can still hear the full edition of Detroit Today. You just need to listen to the Detroit Today podcast. If you go to iTunes or wherever it is that you download podcasts, you can download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can take us wherever you need to go and listen to us whenever you are ready. Also, remember that we are fundraising here at WDET right now, fundraising in a very different context. We have a recent change in the way that we are going to be funded, and that means we need to raise a lot more money from you, the listeners. Think of how often you listen to this show. Think of how often this show gives you something that you talk about later in your day with your friends or your family or your coworkers, think of how often maybe you call Detroit today. All of the things that we do here, the community that we're building, the conversation we have, the issues that we tackle, it's all made possible only by you, the listeners. And we need you to step up. We need you to make that first-time contribution to WDET at WDET.org or renew your contribution to WDET. We are going to make it through this change in our funding, and it will be because of people like you, people who listen and people who support. Okay, uh, we want to spend the hour today talking about sexual assault on college campuses. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos has announced that she would like to change the rules with regard to the way that colleges handle these things. Her concern, according to her, is that people who are accused of sexual assault on campuses are sometimes wrongly accused or sometimes uh, sometimes presumed guilty before they are proven so. And she wants to she wants to change the rules. Of course, this is a hot button issue, not just here in the state of Michigan, where we've seen a major college sexual assault scandal unfold at Michigan State University, but across the country, where universities and campuses are really struggling to figure out better ways to keep people safe from sexual assault, but also to protect the rights of those who are accused. That is not a nothing burger issue. That is a significant issue. The idea that you are entitled to certain things, certain protections, if you are accused of this sexual assault. We want to talk with a number of different people during this hour about that uh, subject, including uh, Nancy Hogshead Makar, who is a Title IX attorney and professor, a former Olympic swimmer and gold medalist, and an advocate for women in sports. We're also going to talk with an education reporter from Politico who has covered this subject, and Laura L. Dunn, who's the founder and executive director of Serve Justice, a national nonprofit that advocates for survivors of sexual violence. We will also catch up with two reporters who have covered what is going on at Michigan State University. Matthew Mensarini is a justice reporter for the Lansing State Journal, and Joe Lindstroth is executive producer of Stateside, which airs on Michigan Radio. Of course, we want to hear from you as well, the listeners. What did you think of what Betsy DeVos, who we are all pretty familiar with here in the state of Michigan, what did you think of what she said about 
sexual assault. What did you think she, about what she said about Title IX? <clears throat> Do we need a rule change to protect the accused in these equations just as much as victims? Is there an imbalance there that exists right now? Are there too many presumptions that get made about people who are accused of sexual assault? And are their rights violated? Do you believe that people who are accused of sexual assault are somehow being mistreated by the law? Or do you think this is, this is heading us in the wrong direction, that the true victims here, the victims of sexual assault, need the protections that exist in Title IX right now, need the protocols that are in place on college campuses? Do you think we should be doing more to protect victims of sexual assault than we are doing now, not less, not changing the balance of guilt and innocence, uh, the balance of attention on victim or accused? Give us a call and join the conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work your comments into the conversation. This is a conversation that I think if you are a parent, hits really close to home. Whether you're a parent of a girl who's going to grow up and go to college and perhaps be the target of sexual assault on campus, or whether you are the parent of a boy who will grow up and be interested, perhaps, in people of the opposite sex, maybe get involved with somebody and then find out that that person wasn't as consenting as they thought. How often do we hear about these confusing interactions that young people are having on college campuses and how, how are we to educate young men and women in a way that tells them, hey, here's how you handle these things. Here's how you get to a space where there isn't a question about consent. This didn't used to be something we talked about in this country. I know it was always something that went on. It was a confusion that existed. But 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't something we were really discussing. I think one of the things that's really important about right now is that we are talking about this. We are digging into the details of the way that people interact on college campuses and what the rules should look like. What should the rules be with regard to sexual interactions between people on college campuses? And how should the colleges themselves respond to those things? We've heard stories of women going into police or campus safety officers and not being believed, not having someone follow up to determine whether they were sexually assaulted or to try to find the person who did it. We've also heard stories of people who say they were accused of sexual assault falsely. They say their rights were violated. This hour, we want to spend talking about the balance between those two poles. Which side should the law be on? Which side should the rules be on? And how ought we to manage this problem on college campuses? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Debbie in Southfield. Debbie, 
Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hey, go ahead, Demi. I'm a mental health professional, and I've had way too many people come in, and this is male and female, feeling as though they were responsible for the abuse that took place against them. Uh And so I strongly believe that we need to not roll back this. Uh, when you talk about, uh, I know I, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to ask you to give up any confidences that uh, you probably are are guarding with regard to your work, but I'd like to hear a little more about what it is that you're seeing and what it is you're hearing from the people who experience this. Well, the fact is, is that when people go forward, the the questioning that's often been done, they feel as though they're put on trial that they created the uh, assault. And unless they have a lot of support system and some ability to take a look at the fact that nobody's really responsible to be assaulted or raped, that in fact it's the person who has hurt them that really needs to own that responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So you feel like the balance already is too heavily weighed against the victims in in these cases and that absolutely yeah and and already if you think about just our overall legal system it's supposed to be presumed innocent so we have in our own legal system that that people should have the right to have counsel that people should have uh, i mean the assaulter already is by law presumed innocent and so i think it's been skewed the opposite way for too long and that we really need to support those individuals that have been assaulted yeah uh, what did you make of what uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos said uh, last week? Did, 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 you, did you feel like she was accurately describing what goes on now and prescribing a fix? I, I, I don't, but that's just in my, my experience as a mental health professional. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 in fact, that's not really what's going on. Okay. All right. Uh, Debbie, thanks very much for the call uh, and the comments. Right now, we're going to be joined by Joe Lindstroth. He's the executive producer of a show that's called Stateside, which airs on Michigan Radio. Joe has done lots of investigative reporting on campus sexual assault issues in Michigan as a reporter at Michigan Radio, along with his colleague, Kate Wells. Joe, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you have your reporting shows, I think, just how complicated these issues are at the university level. Uh, and, and part of the problem is something that is a very old issue on college campuses and something that I can remember <clears throat> from my time on a college campus here in the state of Michigan from in the late 1980s, early 1990s. This idea that courts have to adjudicate disputes between students or between students and people outside the university, they aren't really, they aren't really set up that way. Uh, they aren't really set up as courts or as the justice system. And so when something like this happens, it introduces a series of complications that perhaps they're just not really ready to deal with. I, I think that's right. I think, um, and you saw that pretty clearly uh, after the the Department of Education issued its Dear Colleague letter. That's the big letter in 2011 that went out to all colleges and universities from the administration, basically, mm-hmm. you know, saying that you need to take you know, sexual assault on campus and these complaints more seriously under Title IX, which mm-hmm. 
you know, I think most people know it from sports, but you know, equality between between genders in terms of you know access to basically in this case just classes and, and campus and a safe environment. Uh-huh. Um, and and so if you look at that, I mean, you know, with the Obama administration just before a couple days before it left office. I mean, you can see this wasn't just universities like Michigan State or University of Michigan or Grand Valley State. I mean, it was across the country. You know, just before they left office, there were 304 investigations underway at 223 colleges and universities. Wow. So universities were struggling across the country to deal with this. Um, you know, one thing that, that, that the Dear Colleague letter specifically mentions, and, you know, I'll quote it, says, conduct may constitute unlawful sexual harassment under Title IX, even if the police do not have sufficient evidence for a criminal violation. So you have kind of two burdens right. here. You have the criminal justice system and, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. And we're talking about loss of liberty for someone in there. They're going to go to jail. And then you have universities where the standard is lower. I mean, if you know, you might want to put it at fifty-one percent preponderance of evidence. And and in that in that ins- in these instances, the universities are tasked with creating a safe campus for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's different. And you know, the student getting kicked off campus is not losing their liberty. Now, of course, the folks on the due process side do argue that that is extremely damaging, if not life-altering, for the student to be kicked out of a university. And so here's kind of, you know, some of this debate we're seeing now. Yeah. Uh, I want you to talk about some of the things you've seen with regard to how universities here in the state of Michigan have dealt with this historically and how they're dealing with it now. Um, and let's start with, uh, with Michigan State University, which has seen a lot of recent trouble around this question. It is it is in the context of sports, uh, the football team, that this is coming up, but I, I've felt from the beginning that this signals a deeper issue on that campus, and it doesn't make them alone. Lots of Lots of other campuses are facing it, but the high-profile pro- nature of that football team has brought this uh, to the forefront. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, their you know football team, basketball team, athletics in general kind of brings attention to this issue on on any college campus. But I think it's kind of far; it extends beyond that. You know, in in, in some of the investigations I did now, given this was in 2014, 2015, when I was really looking deeply into this, mm-hmm. um, and since then, you know, the university has, in response, added more um, sexual assault investigators, more Title IX investigators. Um, it seems, from what I understand, they have kind of, you know, focused on their process in, in response times. Because what I w- what we found was a, a really big delay in response time. So, you know, uh, alleged victims were told that their investigation would, you know, be done completed within ninety days, and then, you know, a finding w- would occur, and, and the process would move on from there. And what we found is pretty regularly these investigations would drag on for six, seven, eight, nine, ten months. In one case, it was 13 months between the time the woman reported and when there was actually an ultimate final decision, and that's going through actually an appeals process and the university bringing in a private law firm after that appeals process and going through a whole other investigation. So. These things can really drag out. And the reason why that's important is, you know, because I think, one, um, a, a victim comes to an institution to report these things and they're told one thing and then when it drags out, they feel like they're not being taken seriously. This is something we heard uh, a lot from both 
the victims or alleged victims in the case, and then also some of their their survive their support network, um, some of the people from the sexual assault programs and support networks within the Ingham County area. I think also it, it creates, a, as as we found in a couple instances, it kind of creates a, a threatening situation for the survivor if they have to wait eight, nine, ten months for mm-hmm. the person down the dorm hall or the person in their section in history class to have something happen. I mean, they're going to class, they're coming home with this person that they say harmed them, you know, still in proximity. And talk about what your response was to Secretary DeVos and what she said last week. So so the, the premise, if, I, if I'm getting this right, is a little bit of doublespeak, I think, on her part, that she says, first, that we need to make sure that the victims of these assaults are protected. We're going to do that. We're going to make sure that things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And then she switches gears, and she says, uh, we're also going to change the rules in a way that give, I guess, more benefit of the doubt to people who are accused of these things. Um, to the, in your experience reporting on these things, can those two things coexist in, in a policy and make any sense? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think this is an incredibly complex issue, I mean, to say the least. You know, if you look at it from the university's point of view there, institutions of higher education, they are not built to be courts. Uh, as you mentioned at the top, they're not built for this kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, on, on the flip side, you know, who's responsible for keeping students safe while they're on campus? Uh, I think that most would argue that's the university's responsibility. Um, you know, I guess if you look at it pre, you know, in talking to, and just over the weekend, talking to folks, especially around the MSU, Michigan State campus, Talking about kind of before and after the 2011 Dear Colleague letter, mm-hmm. um, you know, before there really wasn't a lot of recourse for students who claimed they were sexual, who said they were sexually assaulted, and came forward beyond what the university decided. Um, and so you had a pretty ad hoc system, and you look at it across the state from John Krakauer's book at University of Montana. You know, each university had their own way of adjudicating these things. And of course, then it mattered whether they were an athlete or not. I mean, all these kinds of things. And then once the decision was made, there really was little um, that a student could do in terms of their education so they could file a lawsuit or, or, or that kind of thing. But it was a decision. It was a university's decision. And that was it. And, you know, a lot of these universities, not singling out any of them, of course, don't want this publicity. They want to make these go away. Yeah. No one wants to send their kid to a campus where there's a higher rate of sexual assault on campus. Um, now, after the Dear Colleague letter, um, you know, a lot of people I spoke to felt like there was, there was a place now. There was a recourse. They could go somewhere else, and that was to the federal government to file a complaint to, to hold universities more accountable for their systems and their processes. Um, I think that, uh, of course, was a good thing. Now, uh, the same time, I think the Dear Colleague letter was pretty clunky, uh, as we're seeing, you know, unfold now um, with Secretary DeVos's argument on due process. But I think on the also side, if you look at the survivor side, mm-hmm. there was also mandatory investigations, mandatory reporting, and that. Um, again, I think served more the protection of the institution than it did safety on campus. Um, I mean, it's complex with survivor dynamics and trauma victims, but 
you know, some survivors don't want this reported immediately. Some, you know, have different ways in which they want to handle it. And some of these mandatory requirements sometimes uh, did more harm than good in terms of a student's safety. So I think here we are. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead and finish that. Well, I was going to say, so I think here we are now um, with with these due process issues. And I think there's some legitimate claim there. Um, But again, I think it comes back to this issue of preponderance of evidence versus reasonable doubt. You know, we all apply to get into a university. Um, It's not, um, you know, you don't lose your liberty by getting getting kicked out of a a university. The other side, however, that said, is is it can ruin your life or alter your life significantly by being removed from a university. Right. And for this reason. I mean. Exactly. Okay. Joe Lindstroth, executive producer of Stateside, a show that airs on Michigan Radio. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. You're welcome, Stephen. Yeah. Up next, we're going to talk with two women whose work is at the center of these questions about how college campuses deal with sexual assault. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking all hour about campus sexual assault and Education Secretary Betsy DeVos's decision to roll back rules that were meant to protect victims. Now let's hear from Nancy Hogshead Makar, a former Olympic swimmer and gold medalist who is now an advocate for women in sports. Nancy was raped in a violent encounter with a stranger while out for a run as a student at Duke University. She says the university bent over backwards to make sure her case was handled fairly. We're also joined by Laura Dunn, who was also a victim of sexual assault while a university student. Now she's the founder and executive director of Serve Justice, a national nonprofit that advocates for survivors of sexual violence. Nancy and Laura, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having us on. Sure. Uh, Nancy, I want to start with you. Um, one of the things that that leapt out to me in the Secretary of Education's comments uh, last week is this idea that there is that there is currently an imbalance, that there is too much attention, there is too much weight given to the survivor side of these things, and not enough attention being paid to the accused side. Uh, I, I want to start with your reaction to that assertion and whether you think that, that it has any merit. Well, I think sometimes you know, perception is reality. I, I don't think that's the reality. I mean, both Laura and I have done a number of these cases, and um, I think schools, in, in, in most cases, really try to be fair to both parties um, but but being fair to both parties is a new world for 
men who have uh, men and well, some women, but for uh, for people who are being accused of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. That is, it's a <clears throat> it's a wholesale uh, you know, th- this idea that there was nothing that could be done, and schools used to pet uh, victims on the hand and say, "There, there, I'm really sorry that that happened to you." And to go from that to we're going to take this seriously and we're going to do an investigation um, uh, is, is, you know, the perception is just taking something seriously is that, oh, they're favoring the victim. But if you look at actual numbers of, of uh, students who were actually kicked out of school because of sexual assault, it's a very low number, very low. Mm-hmm. And... and when we talk about that, though, um, we also have to put it in the context of the survivor side of this and mm-hmm. the inattention, the often uh, sort of reflexive inattention to claims of sexual assault. And and I, I also want to draw another distinction here. I think for a lot of people, this, this issue looks very different uh, when it is – when it when it involves uh, uh, two people who consented to a lot of things, but then did not both consent to sex, in other words, the sort of date rape scenario, then it does when they think of the brutal attack, for instance, that you faced, where a stranger uh, just just sort of comes out of nowhere and and does something like this. I, I feel like the concern on the accused side, arises more from that from that first kind of scenario. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, that is the narrative. The narrative is that <clears throat> that this is just two people who miscommunicated. Right. And that the poor guy, he just didn't really let it, he just wasn't clear about getting consent from the other party and how was he supposed to know and this is how them, they do it in the movies and blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, that's just, that's not what the research shows. The research shows that actually that um that that um uh that rapists go out of their way to target individuals that they um that they ply them with liquor and drugs and that they um that they do whatever they have to do to that is the easiest for them to be able to sexually assault so my rapist he had you know he was not of he was probably not a duke student and was not a university student, and <clears throat> uh, and there was no way that I was going to meet him at uh, you know the, the the favorite watering hole or at a frat party or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so he, that's what he had to do was to jump out of the woods and and rape me, as opposed to what some what Chip can do or somebody who you know looks apart. Um, that that you know they don't have to go to those measures that they. Um, and 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 research shows not only do do uh, are do rapists actually target their victims, but that they do so over and over again. The light, by the time somebody's caught, they've already raped seven people. So it's a small percentage of men that are raping this large percentage of women. Right. And and so you know if you if you can get the idea out that um, that yes there are. Um, there are a tiny fraction of cases that are um, that that are made up, but it's between two and eight percent. So that means anywhere between ninety-eight 
to 92% of cases are not made up, right? right? But so when you, when you, can, you can educate police and you can teach them about trauma and you can educate them on, you know, like the, we, we have a lot of empirical research on what, what sexual assault on campus looks like and what the dynamics are and what are the risk factors. And, um, and uh, so, so um, you know, if, if schools are really serious about, um, about uh, addressing sexual assault, this narrative of, oh, it's just a miscommunication between parties has just got to end. Yeah. Uh, Laura Dunn, we're talking about this idea of people being falsely accused or finding themselves in situations where they say they didn't really know what the rules were uh, and that they shouldn't be prosecuted for it. You, on the other hand, experienced the the kind of doubt that is uh, foisted upon victims of sexual assault. Can you talk about what that experience was at the University of Wisconsin? Sure. As a freshman at the University of Wisconsin, um, two men who were on the crew team with me made a decision to sexually assault me. And I say that intentionally. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't confusion. There was alcohol involved, and they knew that I was unable to defend myself. They took advantage of the situation, said they were going to walk me to a nearby party where our teammates were, and they actually walked me off campus to one of their apartments. And by the time I realized that I was in danger, um, they basically dragged me into the house and assaulted me. And it was, you know, I think a lot of people have this really um, ignorant narrative in their head that campus sexual assault, when it's committed by acquaintance, is just like bad sex. Um, No, it's horrifying. It is ugly. It is violating. It lasts a lifetime. And um, it has to be taken seriously. Um, We can't just take seriously the stranger assaults. We can't just take seriously those committed by physical force. When alcohol is involved, when coercion is involved, um, when people are held against their will, when they are pushed into situations they don't want to be in, all of this really matters. And I think people have hyper-focused on sexual assault, but really Title IX prevents any type of sexual harassment or discrimination from the least serious all the way up to what we can all agree is very egregious cases. And therefore, campuses have more situations to deal with than the criminal justice system. And they need more authority to deal with that because it's not just about safety. It's also about the student code of conduct. They've selected students to come to campus to represent them and to be part of this community and there's certain community norms and standards. And I think people, you know, get high alarm when it's sexual assault and feel like it's so outrageous that campuses deal with this. Um, They deal with every type of crime. You know, if you physically assaulted your classmate, you would go through a campus misconduct proceeding and you're not entitled to, um, you know, an attorney that would advocate for you and you're not entitled to beyond a reasonable doubt standards. Um, But yet when we do the same for sexual assault, everyone gets upset. And I think that really should point the conversation towards the reason people have such an issue with this is the existence of rape culture, this belief that women are just confused and they this isn't that serious and all these poor men in their lives. And that's such a damaging narrative. That's why we have a problem on campus today. And there's nothing wrong with due process, but due process is very different than trying to say there's all these false reports, which is just statistically untrue. Research has found that it's no, um, no difference in false reporting between major types of felonies. And it's somewhere between two and 8%. That's minor. That's minute. Talk about the response that you got 
from officials at the University of Wisconsin when you came forward and said, hey, look, this happened to me. I, I feel like this is the far more common narrative, in fact, uh, of what happened. Absolutely. And I should I should be very clear, this happened before the Dear Colleague letter. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I was on campus and experienced this before there was guidance under the Obama administration that said, take sexual assault just as seriously as you take other types of sexual harassment and misconduct and don't defer to law enforcement. Um, because the university... I think was very accommodating as far as like, here's counseling and here's support. But when I wanted justice, that was when the wall went up. Um, it was not an option. Survivors were not supposed to expect justice, especially if you were drinking. And um, it took over a year for the school to investigate, even though law enforcement was actively investigating during that entire time period. Mm-hmm. And they kept delaying and putting it off. And at the very end of the school year, just in time for the, one of the accused men to graduate, they said, well, you were both drinking, so we actually can't figure it out. Um, it didn't matter that there were two men. It didn't matter that I was a small 110-pound girl and mm-hmm. that they worked together to assault me. Um, their narrative was alcohol was involved and it's too hard to figure out. Yeah. And so given that and given the difficulty that you had, and again, that's before the Dear Colleague letter, which which seemed to change the rules, at least temporarily, um, how, how do you get women then to the space where they're even – comfortable talking about these things. I mean, this is one of the other really powerful narratives here is that these things happen and people don't speak up because they feel shame, because they feel like they won't be taken seriously, uh, because they feel like there won't be any consequence for it or that the consequence would be reflected on them uh, as opposed to uh, to the accused. How do you, I mean, given all of those things and given what the secretary is saying how do you even how do you even talk to women about dealing with this in in a reasonable a reasonable way nancy well i'm 55 so i'm a several generations ahead of laura dunn but um 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 i um what, what to me the big shift was the internet as soon as women were able to get on the Internet, when in my era, after I was raped, I went into my room and sort of secluded myself and was, you know, you know, sort of suffered in silence. And I used to go to the library and I would try to find articles on sexual assault. And most of them were pretty negative, like the, the prognosis was that I was going to live a life of shame and torment and not be able to sleep and not have a nice family life and not have a professional life, you know, that really my life was over. I really found no hope when I went to the library to get anything. Now, when, when uh, 18 to 22-year-olds are sexually assaulted, they go, they go into their dorm room, but instead they get online and they can find a community of young women who have also been sexually assaulted and who have found their voice and who have found their power in it and who, who are suffering. They find sort of solace in in talking with each other and the suffering, but a lot of the the myths that, you know, when I was growing up, you know, my parents were very much like, don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really gone. I mean, they did have no problem, I should say they have much less problem um, asserting themselves the way that Laura Dunn did. I mean, that's really remarkable to uh, insist on justice, um, you know, as a 19-year-old. Uh, 
um, going through the system. Um, there are many that say that if you want to design a system that was intentionally harmful to victims, you would design the criminal justice system that that second guesses virtually every move that they make and makes them walk through exactly what happened again and again and again and again. So um, I think that the big shift uh, that happened right around the time that the Dear Colleague letter and, you know, Laura was part of the group that really forced that to happen as well as other uh, congressional changes, legislative changes to the Dear Colleague letter, to the, excuse me, to uh, the Cleary Act was, uh, was the fact that these women uh, were able to kind of educate themselves. They were able to find a way online to um, to really demand that they had the right to be at these schools. It's no coincidence that the schools that are getting into the most trouble are the best schools in the country. These are the Harvards and Yales and the Stanfords and the and the Michigans mm-hmm. and the uh, and uh, the the um, you know it's all the flagship schools in the country that are having these. And these are women who say, I, de- I deserve to be at the school, and my assailant does not. Right. And I think that's a wholesale change. Typically, women had s- suffered from so much shame that, that they had just left school, that they went to go find another school, that they, you know, um, sort of recovered in a, in a hole. Right. Right. Uh, <clears throat> Laura, uh, we, we, we are getting a lot of feedback from male callers and, and our Facebook page and on Twitter that says things like Stephen on Facebook, who says innocent until proven guilty, expelling students based on only what he said, she said has to end. Uh, there, there is this pushback uh, and, and concern, uh, I think, among some men about what this does to people who are accused. Is that an appropriate concern for us right now? Yeah, I think what's really important for people to understand, um, you know, my work right now is with Serve Justice, a national nonprofit that assists victims in campus hearings all across the country. I've seen more campus hearings than any of the people that are tweeting at you right now. Mm-hmm. And I've seen how they're how they go through, what the process is, what it looks like. And a lot of the um, outrage that people are raising their fist and yelling about is because they're conflating the system. If you're sexually assaulted, you're not just left with the criminal justice system. You could also go into a civil court and sue, and you could also go on a campus and have a misconduct hearing. Same if you were physically assaulted. You could go to the criminal system, the civil system, or the campus system. You have more than one option, and each system is different. They have different standards of evidence. They have different procedural standards. And so a lot of people are crying for a criminal-level due process. Innocent until proven guilty is a criminal due process construct. This is not a criminal system. This is a campus hearing. Mm -hmm. Campus hearings have different standards. They always have. For decades, this has been happening. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that all of a sudden we need to raise the standard because sexual assault is so unique and so different and so damaging, um, it's just untrue. Uh, Why aren't they just as alarmed about physical assaults when they're handled on campus? Mm -hmm. What about thefts? Mm -hmm. Um, There isn't this outrage on all these other topics, and that points to the real concern here. And this idea that poor men's lives are ruined, 
I can tell you, this happens all the time. We've seen it at Baylor. We've seen this at the University of Oregon. There are men uh, in particular who are athletes who've been accused or even found responsible for sexual violence and sometimes even criminally convicted of sex offenses. If you look at the young man um, who's convicted after Steubenville and now plays at Youngstown, and they are in college still. They are recruited actively and put on teams and put forward with the logo of the school on and blasted on TV. Do not tell me these young lives of men are ruined. Do you know what? They seem to be doing pretty fine. Um, whereas the lives of survivors, I can tell you firsthand, is, is very challenging. You know, there is therapy, there's counseling, there is a need for support. It is not an easy path. And I know Secretary DeVos said one assault is too many and one due process violation is too many. Um, how dare she make an equivalence? When there is a due process violation, guess what? The court remands it and you do it again with due process. You don't get a do-over. You don't get to be unraped. They are not equivalent. Nancy Hogshead Makar, a Title IX attorney and professor, former Olympic swimmer and gold medalist, and an advocate for women in sports. And Laura Dunn, founder and executive director of Serve Justice, a national nonprofit that advocates for survivors of sexual violence. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having, Thanks for having us. Okay, up next, we are going to continue our conversation about sexual assault on campuses. We want to roll a couple more voices into this conversation but of course we want to keep hearing from you 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones we'll be right back on Detroit Today I'm grateful to those who endeavored to end sexual misconduct on campuses but good intentions alone are not enough. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're spending the hour today talking about sexual assaults on campus. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos says that whatever colleges and universities are doing to change, it's not working, and she wants to seek public feedback and combine institutional knowledge, professional expertise, and the experiences of students to replace the current approach with a workable, effective, and fair system. She said at George Mason University last week that she will change the rules by which colleges deal with sexual assault. Joining us now to continue the conversation about this issue is Benjamin Wormand. He is an education reporter at Politico. Also here is, Matt, is Matthew Mensarini, who is a Justice Department reporter at uh, the Lansing State Journal. Matthew and Benjamin, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, l- let's talk first about uh, what the secretary says she wants to do, this idea of gathering information to try to come up with a better system. Is the system that broken right now? Her suggestion is that it is. Benjamin, is she is she accurate in the way she's describing it? Well, that certainly depends who you ask. I mean, this was a very um, controversial announcement. Um, there are a lot of Title IX advocacy groups and women's advocacy groups out there that think that the uh, the guidance or policy that she's planning to rewrite is working perfectly and was a huge step in the right direction. Um, that said, there are a whole lot of other folks who would disagree with that, including um, 
some legal and civil liberties groups that say it's uh, unfair to students who are accused of uh, assault or misconduct, um, as well as some colleges and college groups that say it's uh, confusing and, and they don't know exactly how to um, do what it asks them to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew, the, the you've covered a lot of what goes on or what has gone on at Michigan State University with regard to this issue. One of the things that was interesting about the reaction to Secretary DeVos's announcement was that you saw universities all over the country come out and say, hold on a second, this actually works pretty well for us. Uh, why do you want to change the rules? Uh, talk about how a university like Michigan State, which has had its own troubles with the current rules, still is saying this is a better approach than, than going back to, to the old or going in a different direction. Well, MSU took kind of a, a wait-and-see approach um, after the announcement last week and mm-hmm. kind of said, we're going to wait and see what uh, the final guidance or changes are. Mm-hmm. They're currently um, starting a Title IX review, uh, internal review. It would be the second they've done since 2014, um, looking kind of top to bottom at how their uh, system is set up um, and how it aligns with uh, the current guidance. It, it'll be interesting, interesting to see how that changes or, or what happens with that while they're potentially going to be in a different landscape in a couple of months. Um, but MSU specifically has been has been sued and criticized by both those accused of sexual assault and those who say they were sexual assaulted. So they have, um, you know, struggled with it on, on both sides of that, I believe. Yeah. Uh, again, the number to join the conversation is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Robert in Ypsilanti. Robert, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Um, I agree completely with the two women you have talking just before the break. There, um, I I can't add anything at all to what they said. Um, question that I have, I guess I don't understand if someone is a victim, why they can't go directly to the local police. I mean, do they have to go to the university somehow? Uh, that's a great. That's a great question, uh, Robert, uh, Benjamin, and Matthew. I'll leave it to, to you to explain why does this end up being a campus issue. Um, well, universities have a responsibility to track and report crimes that happen on campus, um, including sexual assault, um, and they are uh, under law supposed to encourage students to report when something like this happens to them. Um, and then, you know, when when students report it to a university, the university has to handle it. Um, uh, often they will encourage the student to also go to police, um, but... Uh, they can't do that um, yeah. on their own. A, a lot of students also choose to go through this process because it's less, um, I, I mean, reporting a crime and going through that, is, it can be a very um, uh, uh, taxing and, and long process. Yeah. Well, it seems to me like from what those uh, other women are saying, quite often the university handling takes months or uh-huh. a year or something, uh-huh. and the criminal justice system, police departments will not take that long. I mean, they'll do something, you know, the public will get upset with them if they don't do things quickly. Right. So I, I guess I don't understand, okay, why someone who's not assaulted, whether it's, it's a, you know, sexual assault or otherwise, call the police, 
go home, call the police, and, and let the university do whatever they're going to do. Right. Apparently, they're not doing a very good job of it at this yeah. point. Yeah. Robert, uh, thanks very much for the call uh, and the thoughts there. Let's uh, go to Matt in Detroit. Matt, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, first of all, thank you so much for facilitating this conversation. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to hear that this is on the airwaves. I think it's very, very important. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, what do you and your guests, uh, what your thoughts are on the role of transformative justice processes um, in these kinds of sexual assault uh, cases where, you know, the goal, the end goal is not so much kind of it's not punishment, and, but but sort of yeah, reconciliation, but, trans, but transformation and kind of you know, well, both transformative justice and like prevention and right. um, education and just kind of like the role, um, the role of those things. Right, in, uh, Matt. The, yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I'm glad you called uh, and asked, uh, Matthew Mentorini. I'll give you a first crack at what, is the, are these kinds of things part of what universities are thinking about. The guidelines from the federal government um, has concerned universities about implementing restorative justice means when it comes to sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't explicitly say you can't do it, but um, the experts and advocates I've talked to said that there is suggestion against it, which has concerned universities that if they go down that path um, with restorative justice means, specifically with sexual assault, that they could find themselves on the wrong end of a federal investigation. Those um, restorative justice means also require that both the claimant and respondent um, agree to participate. You can't force one party to participate in in that um, right in that type of thing. But it, it is something that in the, in the you know the, the the survivors, the victims, and the advocates I've spoken with, they do support. Um, it 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 kind of is a um, it's another way to get to an end result in the campus system that all parties could be uh, happy with. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Worman, I've got about a minute left. Uh, talk about where you think Betsy DeVos might be headed with new rules, uh, if we have indications uh, whether restorative justice might be part of it or, or just a real reconfiguring of uh, presumption of guilt and innocence. Um, yeah, I think probably both of those will be wrapped in. I mean, she and her um, address at, at George Mason last week kind of gave some hints on where this could go. Uh, She pointed to uh, reports by the American Bar Association um, that called for both parties to have robust procedural protections. Um, She also pointed to the American College of Trial Lawyers that urged um, to raise the standard of proof from the current uh, or the one that the Obama administration had pushed to uh, something called the clear and convincing evidence, which is what's commonly used in civil court cases. so, it, I mean, this is going to be a long uh, process. It, it, you know, the comment period takes months, uh, and then we'll have to wait to see what they produce from that as well. But um, she did offer some hints where it could go. Okay. Benjamin Worman, education reporter with Politico, and Matthew Mensarini, justice reporter with the Lansing State Journal. Thank you both for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.